Hello, you are listening to the Voice of Wealth podcast produced by BNP Paribas Wealth Management. I'm Charlotte de Capoisson. In this podcast, we are going to ask the question, why invest in funds? Ed Sheng, Global Chief Investment Officer of BNP Paribas Wealth Management, joins me to unpack the pros and cons of investing in funds. Hello, Ed. Hello, Charlotte. Why do people always go on about diversification? Why does the textbook tell us not to put all our eggs in one basket, particularly if we think we have one really good investment idea? Well, Charlotte, first of all, I would say, as an investor, there are two very important qualities that you need to keep in mind. Firstly, be humble. So do not think you know everything because no one can predict the future. Uh, So even if you think you have the best stock idea since sliced bread, all manner of things may happen that are completely unforecastable and that can completely change the trajectory of that company and that company's profitability. For instance, the recent COVID pandemic and lockdowns, which had a huge impact on, for instance, travel and leisure stocks or retail stocks. You might have had the best retail stock idea since forever, but if sales go to zero because all the shops are forced to shut because of national lockdowns, that's something that's completely unforecastable. You would never would expect that, but it can have a huge impact on that one company and therefore a huge impact on your investment portfolio if that one company is a huge slice of your overall portfolio. We prefer to remain humble and remember that we do not know everything. And secondly, then to reduce risk in an investment portfolio via the idea of diversification. That is spreading your investment portfolio amongst several different assets i.e. stocks or asset classes, i.e. between stocks and bonds, commodities, property and other. And the reason you would do that is to spread the risk because not everything works at the same time. There are some assets that do well at certain times and other assets to do better at other times. For instance, between stocks and bonds, when stocks do badly, bonds often do better. And that's why often it's a good idea to have some stocks and some bond exposure in the same portfolio because the one will tend to offset the other over time and therefore lower the risk of the overall portfolio. And how much should investors diversify across asset classes and geographies? Well, I think it depends on the risk tolerance of of investors. But I think for most investors, their risk tolerance is not as high as they think. So therefore, they should diversify more than they think, both amongst asset classes and geographically. On the geographic point, I would note that there is something called a home bias, which is that in any given country, investors in that country tend to own too much of that country's assets, stocks and bonds, in other words. So if you're in the US, you tend to be too oriented towards the US in terms of your asset allocation and your regional allocation. The same is true of Europe. We tend to be in France, for instance, too biased towards French companies because we know them, we feel we know them better. And so we feel closer to them. But that actually is overall generally a mistake because it means we're not diversified regionally as much as we should be. What we should perhaps be thinking about is tracking a global portfolio. And if you think about that, then most countries are only a small part of a global portfolio and you need to be much more internationally diversified. And as I said, between asset classes, you want to take advantage of the lower or negative correlations between asset classes like stocks versus bonds versus real estate versus commodities. When you have, for instance, stocks and bonds, you have typically a negative correlation. So that is when stocks go down or correct downwards, more often than not, bonds go up offsetting some of the loss in stocks if you hold both in the same portfolio. So I think from that point of view, asset class diversification, particularly between stocks and bonds historically, has been very valuable. Let's take a closer look at funds. 
A general question to start with, why would I choose to invest in funds as opposed to individual stocks? Well, again, it comes back to diversification. Academic research has shown us that to have, even within a stock portfolio, sufficient diversification requires you own at least 20 to 25 different companies. For a retail investor, first of all, do you actually know enough about 20 or 25 companies to feel confident in investing in them over the long term? And for most investors, I would argue the answer is no. And in which case, a fund is a, a very convenient one-stop shop to invest in a broad spread of different stocks to minimise what we call the single stock risk. That is the risk that one company in particular that you're invested in has a bad day, has a, an unexpected problem, which leads to a shot drop in the stock price. If you have investments in a fund, which therefore invests in a basket of stocks, your risk into any specific stock dropping is far, far lower. And that allows, I think, investors to sleep well at night, which is probably the most important thing after all. In several of your podcasts, you've mentioned exchange-traded funds or ETFs. What is an ETF and how does it differ from a standard mutual fund? So let's start with a standard mutual fund. A standard mutual fund is a collective fund of a basket of stocks or bonds or maybe even a multi-asset fund, which includes both, that is managed by a single asset manager, for instance, BNP Paribas Asset Management. And when you buy and sell this fund, you buy and sell this fund directly from the fund manager, typically. So they set the price once a day and you will put in an order to buy that fund and then you will get the price depending when you buy the fund, either on that day or the next day, because the price is only set once a day. And the price will be set in line with the value of the fund or what we call the net asset value of the fund. So whatever price you pay will obviously be based on that, the value of the fund on that day when you buy. That's the same when you sell a fund you may not know what price you get instantly because if you if you try to sell a fund in the afternoon, the pricing will not be done, let's say, until something like 11 o'clock the next day. And so you don't actually know at what price you sell the fund exactly, you know, roughly, but, you know, things can change from the time you put in the order to when the price is actually set on the once-a-day basis. With an exchange-traded fund, while it is a fund, it is traded on the stock exchange and so is bought and sold like any other stock or share with buyers and sellers all the time and market makers. And so what happens is you can get an instantaneous price. So you can sell or buy just like buying any other stock or share on the stock exchange. And you will know pretty quickly what your price is or fairly much instantaneously. And that is the difference. The second, a second big difference between exchange traded funds and mutual funds is that exchange traded funds are typically, not always, but typically what we call passive funds. That is, they follow an index on a rules-based basis. So there is no stock picking fund manager. There is just a computer with an index and the ETF mimics that index, copies that index. That's all it does. And so it will go up and down exactly in line with the underlying index that it tracks. A mutual fund with an active fund manager has someone who's trying to beat the market by picking the stocks or the bonds that they think will outperform the benchmark index. So in other words, instead of just copying an index, they're trying to beat the index and do better than the market overall. And they may or may not succeed. And it depends really what asset class and what region you're looking at as to whether or not they have a good chance of succeeding. Typically, finally, exchange traded funds, because they are rules-based, are much cheaper typically in terms of a management fee. So the management fee is typically far lower than would be for a mutual fund. Because again, with a mutual fund, you have to pay the fund manager for his or her stock or bond picking skill, and that costs money. So there are differences in terms of the pricing, 
in terms of the transparency and also in terms of the charges. So there are several differences between an ETF on the one hand and a traditional mutual fund, or you could call it a USITS fund, sometimes an OIC or a CCAB in France on the other. You mentioned active and passive investing. Furthermore, you're saying that ETFs are a kind of passive investment. But from what I understand, I would still need to make fairly important decisions about which markets or which indices to invest in, for example, equities, bonds or commodities. Is this really passive investing, Ed? There is no such thing as 100% passive investing, Charlotte, funnily enough, because as you say, even if I use exchange traded funds based on indices, you still have to decide which indices do I want to invest in, which therefore means you have to decide which regions do you want to invest in the US, in Europe, or in the UK, or France, or in Asia, or China. Secondly, in terms of asset classes, do you want to invest in stocks, bonds, real estate, private equity, commodities, infrastructure? There are loads of choices of asset class. And so there is not a single one-size-fits-all fund that takes all of the asset classes together, all of the regions together, and gives you one product to buy everything, which is surprising because there are thousands and thousands of exchange-traded funds and, and traditional funds, but very few that are all in passive investment. In fact, the only ones that typically exist are active investments because they involve someone choosing the asset classes and the regions and the weightings for, the, for those asset classes and regions for you. But that's still, at the end, an active decision. So even when you use these exchange-traded index-based passive funds, you still ultimately have to make some sort of active decision about the asset classes and about the regions. Do you have a final word? I think that funds are excellent investment vehicles for the long term, whether you use exchange-traded funds or traditional mutual funds. But what I would say is another way to reduce risk over time for a, a, a classic investor is to invest consistently that is to invest a certain amount every month because then you smooth your entry point you may buy at times when the markets are high you might buy at other times when the markets are low but overall you will get an average entry point so you take less risk over the long term by not trying to time your entry into the stock or the bond markets for instance and i think for most people who don't want to try to time their decision this is actually a very good solution. That's called in the literature dollar or euro cost averaging. So that is putting the same amount of euros, dollars or pounds into your investment portfolio every month and investing it on a consistent basis in the same investments. To listen to more of our podcasts, please look for BNP Paribas Wealth Management on the podcast provider of your choice, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict. If you would like to read more of our research, please use Google and search for BNP Paribas Wealth.